When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now let's get to the game that we're recording right after. Game two of this series, Kodai Senga, Marcus Stroman. First of all, Kodai Senga is only pitching because the Mets, and this is not on Senga. I want to make this very clear. This is a Met issue. The Mets are deathly afraid of Kodai Senga, not only pitching on regular rest, but even with five days rest. So they make the decision probably a while ago, but they announce it to us a couple of hours before game one that they're flip-flopping McGill and Senga. And as I've said before, you can run, but you can't hide. While Senga won't pitch again on this road trip, which is a good thing because he sucks on the road, when he comes back to City, again, there's going to be a situation where he's going to have to pitch on four days rest unless the Mets call somebody up because he's now scheduled to pitch Tuesday of next week at City Field against the Phillies and then would have to come back and pitch Sunday at City Field against the Toronto Blue Jays. Will they find a way to delay that? Maybe. It's it's certainly possible. But in terms of how Kodai pitched against Chicago, there's a part of me that's very, very impressed by Senga, even in a performance as shaky as this one. And what I mean by that is he walks five guys in five innings. Nobody's happy with that. He gave up six hits to go along with that. He committed a balk. There were tons of base runners. And yet he was mostly, mostly, because he did kind of give up some big hits in the third inning, specifically the double to Saya Suzuki and the RBI single to Mike Tauchman. But he was able to make the big pitch more times than not that got him out of these brutal situations. The best example of that being in the fourth inning in which he walks the eight and nine hitter back-to-back to to start the inning, and commits a balk. So you're facing the top of the order, including one of the toughest guys in the league to strike out, this side of Larissa Rise with second and third nobody out, and he got out of it. And I give him credit for that. And what he was able to do, which Tyler McGill was not able to do, is he kept them in the game. He did. Now, I'm I'm not trying to throw bouquets at this guy, because five innings, three runs is not good. I want to make that clear. It's not good enough. But I am impressed by his ability. And we've seen this from day one in spring training of his ability to make that big pitch and at least not let go of the rope. And I think the other thing that hurts Senga, and this is going to sound like an excuse, but this is an observation. The fact that the Met offense could not muster any kind of long inning against Marcus Stroman cannot help. You've got a guy throwing a million pitches, which is Senga's fault, by the way. I'll make that clear. Like, going 3-2 on everybody, that's a Kodai Senga issue. And his command has not been impressive over his first eight major league starts. Now it's nine major league starts, okay? He's got to cut down on the walks. He cannot go 3-2 to every single hitter. So this is a Senga issue. But he's throwing basically 25 pitches an inning, and then the Met offense goes out there, and Marcus Stroman has a five-pitch inning. And that cannot help. And here's where it really jumped out at me. So he gets through the second inning, Senga. He puts the first two guys on base, walks Suzuki, gave up a hit to Tauchman. 
and he gets out of it. And he was pretty fortunate because the Matt Mervis line drive was a rocket shot. May have been the hardest hit ball of the game, but it was right at Starling Marte, and he fights through the second inning. Stroman in the third, I'm not even kidding, must have thrown, I'm sorry, in the second inning, Stroman must have thrown five pitches. So he comes out and barely breaks a sweat in the second inning. And that can that cannot help. It cannot help that Kodai Senga is throwing 30 pitches an inning, and then Marcus Stroman responds by, here's a five-pitch inning. And it happened a lot in this game, a lot, where, you know, I'm just sitting at home watching it, and I was behind a little bit where I was skipping commercials, so you really just see the baseball. Dude, it's like Senga's out there for 85% of the time. And then here's Stroman, bing, 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 see you later. Bing, 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 okay, we're fine. But look, this isn't good enough. I think we all admit that. This performance by Senga is not good enough. And I'm starting to think, because we're gaining a sample size, that for whatever reason, and I can't explain the reason, I'm just going to give you what I'm noticing. The guy just sucks on the road. He's a different pitcher at City Field as compared to road stadiums. Why? I don't know. I can't offer, like, the reason. All I know is 7 ERA versus, like, 1-5 ERA is pretty noticeable. But the problem is the offense, because outside of our guy Francisco Alvarez breaking the wind in the third inning with that two-run home run, what did this offense do? They went one, two, three in the first, one, two, three in the second. They got a little infield hit from Alonzo in the fourth, and then unfortunately the double play where Pete's trying to steal steal a base, has no idea what's going on. He slides, and you can see that in the camera. When he slides in a second, I'm worried. Because now he gets up and has no idea where he is, and it turns into a double play. Then in the sixth, they get a leadoff hit from Francisco Alvarez. Double play. In the seventh, a 1-2-3 inning. Marcus Stroman threw 69 pitches. Nice. In only seven innings. This offense did nothing. Nothing in this game outside of the Alvarez home run. In fact, how many times did the baseball leave the infield against Marcus Stroman? The Canna hit the Alvarez home run because the other hits they got in this game, and they only had two others, were infield hits. So they did nothing offensively. And then they had their moment of truth in the eighth inning. And look, it's tough to kill Alvarez because Alvarez hit the home run and Alvarez had the infield hit. He came up two for two. But obviously, when he steps up in the eighth against Stroman with first and third, one out down by two, we're all thinking the same thing, which is, Just don't ground into a double play. Like, if you can get a sacrifice fly, even though the Mets are still down by a run, you feel like, okay, chipped away, top of the order coming up in the ninth. But the double play was the ultimate kick in the balls. And again, what do we, we're not going to kill Alvarez. Alvarez has been great. Uh, He was great in this game, whether it was defensively and obviously supplied the only offense with the two run home run. But first and third, one out in the eighth. I think we all know when Alvarez hits that right at Swanson, this game is over. It's an easy double play, and you could turn the lights out, and they did nothing in the ninth inning, which was pretty disappointing that this offense, with the top of the order coming up against Mark Leiter, despite how much of a buzzkill it was for Alvarez to ground into the double play, you still got a shot. You're down by two runs. You're not exactly facing uh, Trevor Hoffman in his prime, and the Met offense went down one, two, three, and here we are. Here we are, two runs and two runs, four runs in two games. They've had basically no big hits. 
They're 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position in this series. They've done nothing offensively outside of an Alvarez home run and Alonzo home run. And, oh, by the way, their starting pitching has been mediocre. And the five-game winning streak's turned into a two-game losing streak. How do we feel? You feeling good, Pete? No, I feel terrible. And, actually, I'm going to take that back before what I said about McNeil batting. Let Vientos bat in that spot. You want to know why? Because Alvarez has been the one guy who's actually hit big home runs in big spots. And that's because every time earlier in the season when he's cut, when he came up, it was always felt like he was in a big spot. So you got to learn. So now I'm thinking like, you know what? Vientos should have just stayed in the game. Let him pick, let him hit. And he'll learn for the next time because ultimately these guys are going to be in the, these big spots. Listen, like you said, it didn't, didn't come through today with Alvarez with the double play, but he did the damage early in the game. Yeah. I, I would normally agree with you if I don't have Jeff McNeil on my bench. I think what changes things is that I had such a good option on my bench, but on most nights, I think we would all prefer Vientos, just DHs. And so in a normal world, your bench would be Gary Sanchez, Tommy Pham, Eduardo Escobar, and Daniel Vogelback. And if that's your bench, I completely agree with you. If that's my bench with an ideal starting lineup, then yes, you let Vientos hit. So the only reason I disagree is because you had that rare exception of McNeil being available. But you're right about Alvarez, and I'm very encouraged by what's gone on over the last two days with the reporting on him. What I mean by that is Will Salmon, I think is his name from The Athletic, wrote this great piece about Alvarez that was very complimentary from coaching staff guys. Jeremy Barnes, the hitting coach, said he's got the greatest growth mindset he's ever seen, which is a very big compliment. Uh, it's almost like things are leaking out to show you how happy everybody is with Francisco Alvarez. And that doesn't sound like an organization that has any interest in not only sending him down, but taking at-bats away from him and taking starts away from him. I think he's going to be the everyday catcher for this team, even when Narvaez and Nito are healthy. How they handle the roster, we'll discuss it in a second. But I think he's going to play most of the time. While, while two out of three games may not be enough for a lot of people listening, and I get that, it's still the majority of the time. It's still 67% of the time, okay? And I, and I do think it's possible, though we haven't seen it yet, that Alvarez could work his way into more DH opportunities if they decide to carry three catchers once they start to get healthy. But I agree that Alvarez's growth has occurred from playing, from being out there. But a lot of that is that they didn't really have a choice. Tomas Nito made the choice for them. He was so bad offensively that they had to go out and play Francisco Alvarez. The Vientos thing, we're not there yet. And it's frustrating. I'm with you. Like, why is he not in the lineup on Wednesday night against Marcus Stroman? Why is he not? Mark Vientos was hitting right-handed pitching at AAA. And more than that, Daniel Vogelback has failed. Like, none of us want to hear anymore from Buck. Well, Vogel's a good option, too. He's not a good option, too. Like, I've sat here arguing and defending him. And the reason I defended him is because I had the data to back me up. I did. That data doesn't exist anymore. I'm not going to defend him. I don't have a freaking agenda. I just try to call it like it is and be fair. Well, we're all being fair. Daniel Vogelback has failed. He hasn't done enough. And while I may not be on the DFA train, I am on the train that he cannot be the everyday 
designated hitter. You have to give Vientos a few weeks, probably more than that, to either sink or swim. And it's difficult to do that when you're not giving him every day at-bats. But that lineup going into Tuesday, and this is going to be a battle every game now. Buck's going to be under fire for these lineups, and we're going to demand the young guys to play. And what makes the, the Mets look so stupid is the young guys are actually supplying any semblance of offense we see sometimes, like we saw on Wednesday when Alvarez hits the two-run home run. <sighs> and there's another thing too, bro. I, I know that you're you're protecting him a little bit. I'm not, I'm not saying you're protecting him. Who am I protecting? Kodai Senga. That guy, I'm sorry, he's had three good starts so far. Three. That's it. Rack him up. Three good starts. Uh, that is not good enough. We've talked about how many how many ba- how many ba- uh, base runners he allows between walks and between hits, and you could say that he battles and he's you know he finds a way to get through th- through innings. That is not good enough with everybody else on this team only getting you to five innings. I mean, it just it just it's 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 not good anymore. Because it's not. And you have Drew Smith coming in the sixth inning, uh, you know, blowing the game open. It's not good enough. I agree with you on that. I'm treating Senga very much like a young player. And I know he's making a lot of money, so that's difficult for a lot of people to do. But as somebody that's new to the major leagues and a real unknown to all of us, I'm being very open-minded as I learn about him. And I think that there is an adjustment to pitching in Major League Baseball. So I can't just expect him to dominate right away. Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm happy with five innings, three runs, but I'm being honest that I'm encouraged by his ability to get the big out when he needs to. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, and and the, the talk about the amount of pitches he threw tonight or on Wednesday and how quickly he had to come back out is not a defense of him. It's an observation. It just... It did not help him that the Met offense did so little. It, it reminds me in the NFL where you've got a defense that's not playing great. They're battling. They're, they're on the field for a while, but they're holding the opposing offense to a field goal, right? And so they're doing an okay job. And then the offense comes on the field, Zach Wilson, and there's a three and out. And now the exhausted defense has to go back on the field. It's not like the defense is playing their asses off, but it doesn't help the defense that after a 10-play drive that took seven minutes when they finally got off the field and held the opponent to three, they got to go back on the field 30 seconds later. Doesn't help. That, that, that I get, okay, but it's not like the New York Jets were like, hey, do you mind, can we start this game rather than Sunday and push it to like Wednesday? Can, can we can we push it okay, back so we can give Zach Willis some more reps? But here's the thing about that, and, and this is a broader debate that I've had with people concerning baseball and basketball, okay? I don't understand how with maintenance days in the NBA, we attack the players. But when there's maintenance days in baseball, we attack the manager. When really it's organizations in basketball and baseball who make those decisions. Kodai Senga has nothing to do with him getting extra days. Gary Cohen said it on the broadcast the other day. Senga wants to pitch on four days rest. He's ready to go. It's kind of like when um, Kevin Durant, I'll use him as an example, even though I can't stand him anymore. When he doesn't play in a game for a maintenance day, you think he doesn't want to play? No, it's the organization saying, hey, we're going to sit him. Jeff McNeil the other day did not play because McNeil said he needed an off day. The organization said it. 
That's what's happening with Kodai Singh. He has nothing to do with this extra day BS the organization's pulling. That's on Billy Epler and Buck Showalter. So can I ask you a question? Because I honestly, I, I want to know. I, I don't think you know, but I'm curious. Is it because they're worried about his performance on short rest or, or are they worried about injury on short rest? No, I think it's probably performance because, look, when you come to the United States after pitching in Japan, there's a lot of adjustments you have to make. Obviously, the lineups, the stadiums you're playing in, the baseball is different, the language barrier, which should not be understated. Imagine being dropped in the middle of Japan and having to do your job and you only know English. Like, there's a factor here, and I I admit that. And I think one of the other factors is that in Japan, you don't pitch on four days rest. So I think it's simply them being really, really cautious. And I would say it's similar to how cautious they are with prospects. The Mets under Billy Epler have been super cautious with prospects. We've screamed about it a lot here on Rico Bronia. I think it's similar that they're being very, very, very careful. So I don't think it's injury-related. I think it's more, will he be effective? There has to be a day, though, where he does it, where he pitches on four days rest. And I think it's going to happen on the next homestand. But eventually, it, it has to occur. Because, can I ask you a dumb question? If the they're Mets no are fortunate question. enough to be a postseason team, and they are playing in the divisional series or the National League Championship Series. Are you going to be able to pitch Kodai Senga on four days rest? Or are you going to have to manipulate the rotation in the postseason so that Senga needs a fifth or sixth day? Like, you can't, you can't do that. You're not always given the ability to do that come October. So you got to find out now in May and June, while it sucks to lose these games and it sucks to have Senga nurse his way through five innings, poop and get off the pot. Like eventually you just got to sit down and squeeze, you know, Pete? Well, maybe they'll plan on having him start game one and game seven. <laughs> that's, that's, that's entirely possible. <laughs> 